1: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Carrie. She had a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy. Let's talk about it. Um, well, this is going to be really fun. We're sitting down with Karen, um, who uh, I, I, was, I, <laughs> made a, I made a joke to Brian before we started. And I was like, yeah, Karen's uh, Instagram handle is uh, Karen the titty tattooer, um, <laughs> which is which I, I should clarify, it is not. But uh, Karen, why did I make that joke to Brian?
2: <laughs> because I'm all about tits and tattoos. <laughs> because I, my whole Instagram handle is all mastectomy tattoos and everything. Tattoos. Tattoos. I tattoos. love it. That's tattoos. really cool. Tattoos.
0: You know, it's funny though, Jared, is when you say stuff to Taylor and I, you, you frequently, uh, I don't want to say lie, but you lie a lot. Default. And so, default. assumption so is lie. The, the, sure. Yeah. So, so, so lie, it's a lie. So, it's a, it's a prank. Yeah. You prank <laughs> us so often yeah. that it's hard to believe you, but <laughs> I was, I, it, Hey, anything's possible. And well, tattoos, of course. T-tos. <laughs> t-tos. This, this is it. Uh, Karen,
3: um, I guess I guess that w- where we should start with this is that, um, so we're, we're talking about tattooing um, uh, people who've had mastectomies in, in the past. Um, Maybe we should
2: mention females.
3: Females that have had mastectomies.
2: Top surgery for uh, trans persons mm-hmm. is not where we fit in. We're focusing more on being affected by breast cancer.
3: Cancer. Okay, got you. Now, are you yourself a cancer survivor?
2: So I am what they call a pre-vivor. I am like the pre-Angelina Jolie, if you know she chose to have risk-reducing double mastectomy. Um, So I chose 13 years ago to remove my healthy breasts and ovaries because I was born with a broken DNA link called BRCA. So we all have a BRCA gene. It's a tumor suppressor gene that fights off cancers that enter certain parts of the body, in female and male. In females, it affects our breasts predominantly and our ovaries. And um, it massacred my whole family. My whole father's side of the family, we lost his I lost my paternal grandmother to breast cancer, uh, paternal aunt to ovarian cancer, cousin to ovarian cancer, so. Basically, I was given an 87% chance of developing breast cancer in my life, which is basically, you want to get on a plane and the fucking flight attendant tells you, you have an 87% chance of crashing.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, That's that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Or
2: or what if you know that if you buy a lotto ticket, you had an 87% chance of winning.
0: Yeah, you'd start planning what you're gonna do. Well, actually when I whenever a I, a ticket. whenever I buy a lotto ticket, I always plan what I'm <clears throat> gonna do when I when uh-huh. I win the lottery. Even though I know that there's like a an an impossible zero percent, yeah, percent chance yeah. that right? uh, that I will win, <laughs> it's still it's that's what's fun about buying a lottery ticket. You buy it and then you dream about what you'll do with the the winnings, Exactly. And then you find out that you lost and that's okay. <laughs> you well, have that's that happy it, moment. So-
1: what
2: an and it didn't work the right. exact same. I definitely didn't dream about, you know, chopping off my healthy breasts. Right, of course. Of but course. <laughs> I dropped my chances from 87% down to 2 to 3%. Oh, wow.
3: So wow. My, so did, did you say 33? That's how old you were when you did it?
2: I was 33. My kids 33. were 2 and 4. I was newly married. Oh, wow. And found out that I have this mutation, and I thought I was going to die.
1: When when you um when you have a, a mastectomy um and you are you're you're sort of you're you're predisposed to like a really high risk Correct. because of your family history um, yep. and this genetic this genetic mutation
2: exactly
1: do, do you have to remove for, for the breast specifically do you have to remove all of the breast tissue or is it like a reduction in breast tissue that you can kind of choose
2: so it's not and that's the misnomer is that it's not a fucking boob job that's what you hear oh my god you're gonna get new breasts. No, first of all, my breasts were fucking spectacular. Let's put that there. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> Let it be known. And it was all before social media, so I have no <laughs> <laughs> um, But what they do basically for mastectomy is they basically hollow out everything. So they go into the breast and they remove the breast tissue. They remove your nipple a lot of the time and your areola. And then they stitch you up. So, basically, you have barbecues. That's kind mm. of what it looks like. It's just a round mound with either an implant in there. Some women use uh, their own tissue. But there's no breast reduction. It's a removal of all tissue mm. in order to reduce that chance as much as you.
1: Can. Right. Because if mm. there's any if there's any tissue there, yeah. then it, then you're still going to be at, like, a really elevated chance of the, of the cancer occurring in that tissue. Exactly. Yes. exactly.
2: Did, did you um,
0: – did you have to coming back to the uh, the like finding out that you had that broken link in the in that gene? Yeah. How did you find that out? Like yeah. obviously you had that the history in your family, but th- did you have to do some sort of genetic testing?
2: I did. I actually didn't know about any of my uh, I didn't know any about my family history. I knew nothing about it. Um, oh, wow. I had a cousin who was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at 56 6 years ago. Or no, sorry, 13 years ago. Um, and so just so you know, it's 5 to 10% of the population that carry this mutation. Oh, wow. And, wow. Um, but in Middle European Jews, which are Ashkenazi Jews, so Jews coming from Europe, we have a 1 in 43 chance of developing this. I don't know if it's that our families, maybe, I don't know, after the Holocaust, ended up kind of marrying each other. We don't know why, but mm. it's 1 in 43 in the middle European Jewish community. So I was already at a high risk, but once my cousin was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, the doctors in Boston said, reach out to your family because it's genetic. So you get 50% of the genetics from your mom, 50% for your dad, and you have a 50% chance of inheriting it." So it's a blood test. You have to meet with a genetic counselor um, so that they let you know, because it's a big... It's a big commitment to find out you have this because not everybody removes healthy body parts.
0: So did your cousin reach reach out to you then and then and said like, hey, Karen, you know, this is the situation. You might want to get checked. So then you went for your blood test?
2: Yeah. Well, what they do is they actually send all the blood markers from the Boston Hospital to the Montreal Hospital so they can actually search for that exact broken link. So, okay. So when, that's what happened. It got started that way.
3: When you <clears throat> when you made the discovery that you had this this like broken link, mm-hmm. um, what was the what was the conversation like with your healthcare providers? Like, were were they the ones that that um, kind of like opened up your eyes to the option of of you know losing some healthy body parts, or was that something that you kind of came to the conclusion on your own, or like how did you? How did you know what to do?
2: Um, I didn't. Nobody was talking about it. My, <laughs> I love your dog. I love your new centerpiece. <laughs>
3: Donut literally just sat right in front of the camera. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um,
2: most doctors at the time, 13 years ago, hadn't really heard of this. I had so many doctors telling me that I was being ridiculous. Oh, wow. I, I'm like, don't do it. Eat healthy. They just didn't know about it. I had to go to an actual cancer geneticist who was able to give me all the statistics and what it meant to have this high risk. So I was sort of navigating on my own. Nobody knew anything. People told me, well, you can walk out of the house and get hit by a car. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, fuck, but I won't die of cancer. Did yeah. you have, <laughs> did you
3: have the idea to get a mastectomy before you spoke to this geneticist?
2: No, because at the time, again, it was 13 years ago. I didn't know enough. And I was focused on the ovarian cancer because that's what my cousin had been diagnosed with. So I just thought, okay, I'll remove my ovaries, and everything is good. It was only mm. after my ovaries removed, and then I got back to talking with the geneticist. I was like, "Oh, fuck! I'm not done yet," <laughs> oh. and I panicked. I worked on panic. I, you know, mm. I'm, i I panicked. I panicked. I thought I was going to die. Eighty-seven <laughs> percent.
1: It's a super. It's a super high high percentage, it's and wild, and yeah. so and so it 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 really does sort of it It seems like a really flashing red light, like that if this is something that can uh can you know significantly lower your your chances or your risk of of developing ovarian or breast cancer that that would be something to do and that but then having said that i think um I think well I was about to say especially the breasts but but um maybe I'll just wipe that thought off i mean for both. For both ovar- your ovaries and your breasts, like, such um, there's a lot of identity stuff. I think that comes along right. with with uh, right. with with um, body parts. I mean, I, and again, I going back to what I, I'll go back, especially the breasts because they're visual. Yes. You can see them, yes. um, and you know you you see them every day when you wake up or yeah. go to bed or whatever. You change your clothes, they're they're there, and they are they form a part of how you feel about yourself in one way or the other, and. Getting rid of something that that, you know, you've lived with your whole life is not uh, is not an an easy thing, regardless of how obvious the sign might be in terms of statistics that it's a good choice. Yeah. How was that? uh, How was that? How did how did that affect you? How did you think about that when you made the decision to (laughs) to get rid of to get rid of both your ovaries and your breasts?
2: So I think that um, I'm a bit of an exception to the rule. I'm one of those like black and white. There is no in between. I was mm-hmm. a young mom, 33. Like I was just starting my life. My kids are young. My cousin, by the way, had passed away six years ago. I, I watched people die. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, you're right. The breasts become a bigger issue when you're deciding that because it's your identity. It's how we look at ourselves in the mirror. And for a lot of women, they're very sexual, right? Mm-hmm. I mean you know, our breasts are part of our sexuality. They're part of intimacy. So that logically should have made me question whether I was going to do this, but my fear took over and I kept on thinking I will die of breast cancer if I get it. So I tried in my mind to think, okay, well, at least I'll have implants. They will look relatively normal with clothes on. Um, that was my thought before surgery, but logically, it's actually the ovaries that affect you most. It affects mm. you go into menopause right away, yeah. bone density issues, heart issues. like that's what fucks with your body the most. Mm. but you don't see it. Yeah, the breasts are physical. it's everywhere in in our you know in our world today. What I realized though after I had my double mastectomy and I woke up and I was all bandaged, And I thought, yeah, I'm good to go. I realized I had to mourn my chest. Yeah, I had to go into the room by myself without my husband and cry.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot. We've we've talked to people. uh, Well, we've talked a lot about amongst ourselves, and we've talked um, to people with um, uh, alopecia about like a lot about like what it like what it means to like to 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 lose your hair, and that's uh, it's such a visual thing. And I feel like. I can sit here in the moment having the hair that I have and go, oh, I, it doesn't really affect me or bother me or whatever. I wouldn't care, but that's because I'm sitting here with it. And if it it was taken off, then all of a sudden you start to feel differently and, and you recognize like, oh, this, this plays like way more of a significant role in the way that I see myself than I, than I previously thought, however superficial that might be. Be, it's, it's not a, superficial.
2: It's, I think that's a misnomer. It's not superficial. We are who we are because of what we create within ourselves. Hmm. People think, "Oh, it's just hair." It's not just hair. It's you. It's you. It's your yeah. identity. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. the fuck do we feel when we have a pimple on our nose? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
2: yeah. God, yeah. Tell me about it. Right. Yeah, like right now, <laughs> um, uh, Karen.
3: I, I hope this is an okay question to ask, but I'm on uh, open. Uh, uh What not not physically, but um, mentally. What was harder for you, the the the, the removal of the ovaries or the re- removal of the breasts?
2: So you would think it would be the breasts, especially because when they removed my breasts, they didn't put implants in right away. They actually have to put in these like skin stretchers underneath um, your pectoral muscle yeah. and stretch your skin for six months so that you can accommodate an implant.
1: Mm. so Uh i didn't know that
2: that was evil if you can imagine it's like you go in and they fill you up with saline so is it painful yeah i mean so painful because what happens is they're stretching your skin out it's the same thing they do for conjoined twins so you have enough tissue so they're stretching Mm -hmm. your skin out this way and then they're stretching it this way so your ph starts pressing pressing in they're called tissue expanders and so they're basically you're going through this process of like all of a sudden and you're in puberty again. Mm. Like one day I'm an A, then I'm a B. So that was traumatic and painful. Mm. However, once my implants were in and I looked like I had breasts, interesting. I developed the sense of confidence. I kind of felt that I became a teaching tool mm. and I had a bit of a, was a bit removed from my breasts and I just kind of felt like, listen, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. I also had lots of complications and ended up with eight additional surgeries. So my breasts became very much a medical thing. Mm. And now I just feel this is what I look like. And you can feel beautiful however you want.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The, the ovary removal was harder for me. because Menopause is a fucking bitch. 33. Yeah, no mm-hmm.
0: doubt. That's that's wild too. Um, we we spoke to a woman once about um perimenopause, and and um, it's wild that, <laughs> like I I didn't really know anything about menopause yet. Like every woman <coughs> goes through menopause, and I was thinking of like my mom during that time. Like, Ooh. fuck, like raising two rebellious <laughs> little kids while going through menopause—that must be fucking so challenging. But for you like what what what's um like what made it so specifically difficult to deal with emotionally
2: um well it really is i mean for me so when you don't have estrogen when you have um, surgical menopause you literally go into menopause in 72 hours and the, the less estrogen you have as a woman the more your anxiety and depression can ramp up so a lot of women deal with anxiety issues and depression like Started dealing with some anxiety, so I take a mild anti-anxiety now. Hot flashes are no joke. It's like my own personal summer all the year, so <laughs> hence <I> talk, always. <laughs> <laughs> um, your bones are a little bit more fragile. I broke my bones twice. Um, it's You don't think menopause is such a big thing, but because it's all internal and it's affecting everything, um, you just don't. You know your libido can be affected, so you know you worry about that thirty three years old newly married am I going to worry about my sex life going down the tubes uh, because it affects women like that but a lot of women have a lot of dryness. like there's so many things I'm quite lucky that anxiety was sort of I guess the most uh, prominent for me and i'm I'm taking something for it but how did everybody's you uh, different
1: how, how did you um, how did you what was your your take or perspective on on stigma or like a taboo nature around menopause? Because for something that everybody <laughs> goes through, it's not as ta- it's not quite the topic of discussion that you might think
2: Ooh. that nope. you know
1: that that for for ev- for, for the for, for that fucking half the population is going right? to experience it. It doesn't seem as as to the forefront as you would expect. Yeah. And I and I feel like when it is talked about, although we do enjoy jokes on this show, it really <laughs> is talked about in this sort of in this sort of joking way that's um that's not the good kind of joking. Almost like a almost like trying to get around it with yeah. a joke rather than address it.
2: Yeah, people are afraid to ask the questions. And let me tell you, the question I get the most, and I'm very forthcoming, I think that's why I've been so successful as an advocate, public speaker. People beat around the bush. And let me tell you, the question I get the most from young women is, How is it going to affect my sex life? And people don't talk about it.
3: Well, let's talk about it. How did, like, how, you know, because that's one of the first things that came to my mind was, like, when you were talking about this, the how it's not superficial, this is your identity. Yeah. Like, how did it? How when after going through with it, um, and and I'm sure that this process like evolved and changed yeah. over time. So maybe take us through that evolution of like how it affected your self image, how it affected your your confidence, your your like you as a sexual being, um, specifically with the with the I mean, I guess with both, yeah, the mastectomy yeah. and the and the the ovaries.
2: Well, it's interesting because I've always had a really like volatile relationship with my body and self-image and then after i ended up going through with this double mastectomy and hysterectomy i don't know what happened i like found this sense of confidence Hmm. um i kind of felt you know what i chose to do this and i'm going to be proud of the way that i look and beauty is however you define it yeah so i almost tried to fake it until i make it with the physical part of my mastectomy The hysterectomy, however, and the libido was a bit different. I like to describe it like sex before menopause is kind of like, yeah, let's fucking go. But (laughs) sex after menopause is like going to the gym. Who the fuck wants to put on their gym clothes, fucking put their shoes on, get your gym membership, get in the car, get there. While you're working out at the beginning, you're like, this fucking sucks. (laughs) Once you're into it and you're done, you're like,
1: Oh, so glad that I. Was that was the best yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: what i describe menopause sexual sexuality post menopause
0: that's such a good analogy <laughs> a lot
2: of women wait for that desire in order to become intimate with their partners mm. to me you have to fake that desire to get to that point mm-hmm. so you might not want to be, you might not necessarily be in the mood, but like, for example, on a day where maybe I'm not in the mood, I'll approach it. I'll mention it to my partner. Like, Hey, maybe later. So in my mind, I already know. So my brain is now getting into it. So by the time I'm finally at the gym and I've gotten past that first minute of working out, now I realize what the fuck, I love it. And that that's a
3: great, that's a great, I mean, that's a great point for not, not only people who have, gone through menopause, but like, Uh you know, anyone out there who, who is experiencing a sort of like ebb in their libido, um, and, and couples face this all the time. This is something that comes up on my other podcast constantly. And, And the big thing about it is, is exactly what you just said there. It's like you, you make, make the time for it. arousal sometimes takes a little bit longer than you might want it to. But Mm -hmm. once you get the, once you start getting the ball rolling, that arousal will start to catch up to you. And then all of a sudden you're off to the races and having hanky panky. I imagine
0: it's also like really important that like the, like communicating with your partner about how you feel and like how, how, you know, it might take you a little bit of time to get there. What, like, what were those conversations like?
2: Well, I happen to have a really, really supportive partner. And the truth is you can hear different stories from everybody. Um, We've been together for, you know, 20 years. Um, And I've always been vocal. I've always, like, sex is an important part of our marriage. You know, I would say, like, sex is only important if you're not happy with it. You know, it's like 10% of your relationship if it's good, but 90% if it's not. -hmm. So uh, we've always been open. Um, I'm very fortunate that I don't suffer a lot of issues. Some women deal with like not being, you know, like having a lot of lubrication issues. So it's about being prepared. It's about knowing that you have the right tools in your, you know, at your disposal. So if you're missing lubrication because you don't have enough estrogen, well, make sure you have the right stuff there. Make sure your partner knows it might take a little bit longer. Mm. It's just about communication, but it's really? like that, even if you're not a menopause.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really reminds <laughs> me of I, my wife and I just had a baby and congratulations. Uh, so you. you're
2: dealing with some serious hormones, I would
1: imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the menopause conversation is really, is, is there's a lot of parallels to, you know, the, the different phases of, of pregnancy that I saw my wife go through and, and now post-pregnancy and the conversation oh. about sexuality and, you know, trying to get back like s- slowly and, um, like safely with a lot of communication around, how yeah. you, how you get back into that. And then on the, and then on the flip side, also hearing some of the, the, you know, the, the, the less great stories from, uh, from other people about how that was really didn't go very well, or there was maybe not communication or there yeah. was maybe expectations from one of the part from one partner on the other that, you know, <laughs> derailed things and and, yeah. and, 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 and cause like rifts and relationships and stuff. So, yeah. The communication is obviously really key and like, you know, s- slow and steady and yeah. And open. and
2: intimacy isn't always just intercourse as you yeah, know, right? Yeah. Like intimacy at the beginning, post-pregnancy, post, you know, delivery or post-mastectomy, whatever it is. I mean, at the end of the day, we all need to have that communication and intimacy isn't always just sex. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, we're kind of, we're sort of, Starting to dig a, a a bit of a a bit of a different path here, but like I, I think that whenever I hear anybody talk about a relationship problem, it's always communication. Mm-hmm. Like oh it's, yeah, it's always a breakdown of of feeling one way and saying saying another, and um and yeah, like it is. I it feel, is. Feel really grateful about like about about kind of flexing that muscle with you guys all the time mm. about just talking about whatever. So that are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to
3: dig deeper and listen to America dissected from crooked media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms.
1: When you kind of go, when it's, this is kind of like practice for game time, game time being uh, (laughs) real life, (laughs) real life, real life in like in, you know, behind closed doors and not on a mic. uh, (laughs) When you're faced with a conversation that is challenging and emotions that you have to deal with and being able to have those conversations openly.
3: Um, Absolutely. karen let's uh let's talk about titty tattoos yeah. um so so i got my first question is and and i i'm i'm sorry that i don't know this but are you are you a tattoo artist
2: i am not okay a tattoo okay. artist i want to be a tattoo artist
3: so badly but have no talent okay can gotcha, so you gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> clarify that right up front i am um, a
2: tattoo lover i am yeah tattoo.
3: Yeah. Well, let's tell us about, um, tell us about Empower Inc. What is Empower Inc all about?
2: So Empower Inc, basically, um, six years ago, after I had had so many surgeries and complications, I was done. I didn't want any more. I didn't want to recreate nipples and Crayolas because you can do that. I decided I wanted to like pretty myself up and cover my scars with a beautiful tattoo. So I did that personally, loved it, realized how empowering it was. And it kind of became a little viral It like, I ended up, they Buzzfeed, did a story on it. And it like hit like 2.7 million views. Like it was pretty fucking cool. Mm. And then I ended up walking in New York Fashion Week, topless with my tattoo showing. And then Whoa, sick! four years ago, I was invited to New York City to be on the cover of Inked Magazine with 11 other breast cancer survivors. And we all Huge. feared all. Yeah, And it was during that time that I realized how powerful this was. I had heard of this organization called Personal Inc, where they were based in Colorado. And they teamed up tattoo artists with breast cancer survivors. And the tattoo artists donated their time and talent for free to cover these women's scars with people. So I reached out to this guy in Colorado and said, I'm in Canada. I love this idea. Let me bring it to Montreal. So he said, take it and run with it. So for the last six years, it's only been in Montreal because I was working with an American company. Um, I, every October, provide tattoo artists who are donating their time and talents for free and women apply to be a part of this program and they're connected with the tattoo artists and they receive a whole day. They get a beautiful tattoo, I cater it, so they have a whole meal. Um, I get the media in, like last year, we were on the cover of Chatelaine magazine uh, and Global National, and um, these women now get to see how beautiful they look Mm. after a tattoo, so it's a free day, they get a little gift bag, they have photography, it's captured, they to bring a friend, and these women are all together, basically, for the first time since their surgery and mastectomy, They get to say what, when, and where, and how. Mm. They're in control. No doctor's telling them what to do. They're saying, this is what I want, and I'm in full control. So these fucking badass artists, once a year, donate six hours of their time a whole day, and these women get tattooed. So over the last six years, every October I've done this, I do it myself from a one-stop shop. And I've been able to provide 24 tattoos over the last six years.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
2: This past year, I decided, fuck it, I'm going on my own. I'm making it a Canadian organization. And I teamed with um, an organization called Pink in the City. They're a charitable breast cancer organization that raises funds for different aspects of support and wellness and research. And I've merged with them and now made it a Canadian initiative. All the money raised this year, with the exception of a little bit of money I need to run the program, will go to advanced stage breast cancer, which is the only breast cancer that kills women. Because if it stays in your breast, you do not die from it. It's only when it leaves the breast and travels to the other parts of the body. Mm -hmm. So all the money I'm raising is going for that. And this year, I have three fucking locations. I have a location in Montreal. And we will be able to tattoo six women. I have a location in Quebec city. We're going to tattoo nine women. And I have a location in Oshawa where we're going to tattoo six
1: women. Awesome. You're going to double your, uh, you're going to double <laughs> your, uh, quota this, um, right this year. That's amazing. That's it. The, uh, no. I, I
3: gotta say like your, your Instagram <coughs> account is like, if people want to see these tattoos, um, uh, Karen's Instagram <laughs> account is full of them. Uh, guys, yeah. here's, Here's Karen's tattoo. Uh, she's on the right there. You're, oh, luck, guys. Person. You're lucky. You're lucky. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, flash us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yo, oh, it, so cool. it's so sweet. So people can't see this, but the, the tattoo covers the left Here, breast, but it also it goes, goes all the way up to the shoulder. It's amazing. Who uh, can you give a shout out to yes. the artist that uh, So did your
2: Megan Gobe. From Montreal, she works at Private Tattoo Montreal. It was the I was the first mastectomy tattoo she had ever done. Oh, she's great. my lead artist, so she's the person I work with every year to match up our artists with our recipients. Um, and in case you're curious, this is what it looks like with no uh, tattoo and just scar. Right.
1: Can you see? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah, you- I've had a lot of surgeries, but right. it's Barbie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. So,
3: do you do you have plans to do the other side?
2: I don't know. I always think about it. I kind of really love seeing where I started. Yeah. Right. And where I finished.
3: Cool. That's what's, really cool. What's
1: the uh, what's the process for 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 uh the artwork for like developing the artwork that somebody's going to get because I have to tat- we we all have tattoos, like we're we're yeah. familiar with like the process of like yeah. conception and like Wanting to get a tattoo and and working with an artist to figure out what that's going to ultimately look like. Like what is that? Yeah,
2: these artists just fucking say, "Listen, I'm putting a skull on there. Fuck it." No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 Do you imagine this is what I'm doing?
1: Like, um, is that like, uh, so? Is everybody matched? Are you matched with yes. an artist? You're. It's one artist in the in in each location, so it's only one artist doing all the work. So are they like? Is that a communication no, it's, with? It's,
2: yeah. So basically the way that it works is I have an application process and I'm going to give you the application because if you have any viewers who want to apply. Yeah. So there's an application process that's going out in a week. Um, basically what happens is they have to write down why they're looking for a mastectomy tattoo. They have to be at least a year out from their last surgery, but the artist will let them know it's fine to tattoo over. Mm-hmm. We ask each recipient to send five images of what they're looking for. So they already have an idea. Then we also ask them to send images of their chest. Once I receive all the applications and all the information, my lead artist, Megan, and I sit down and we look at all of the applications and I look at all of the artists and I try to match them up. However, the artists are the ones that are doing the job. So I will now connect, like the the potential recipient will receive a phone call from me saying we're in the first steps. I have a great artist, I think that will be good for you. And then I let them connect.
1: Okay. Because they
2: need to see if they're going to work well together. I'm not the artist. Yeah. So then once the artist speaks with the potential recipient, they get back to me. And if it's not a good fit, we put them back into the pool and I look for someone else.
1: Right. Okay.
3: I'm really curious to know. uh, So I I have a lot of tattoos. Um, Yeah. And, uh, some places that I've gotten <laughs> tattoos, I don't feel it at all. Like, like yep. most of my arm, sometimes like I, I, I literally am, I'm looking at my artist. Like, guy, which is your so most painful? My most painful was, was on my sternum. Interesting. It, and, and I also have my whole back done and there was certain spots on the back that were like, like very ouchy. Mm. Um, but I've never gotten, I've never gotten a tattoo yet on like significant, uh, an area with like significant scar tissue. Yeah. I have a pretty gnarly scar on my collarbone and I'm sure one day that part of my body will get covered. I'm yeah. not looking forward to it. Um, you know cause I feel like it's going to hurt. So my question is like, <laughs> what does it feel like to get a tattoo on, 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 you know, and, you know, people can't see this, but you just showed us both of your breasts. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Um, you are quite and- <laughs> awesome. Free <Great laughs> <storage>, my friends. <laughs> and there, there is, there's a significant amount of scar tissue there, it looks like, oh, yeah. um, from those surgeries. So like, it, do you, do you feel it? Do you feel it in that area or, or like, is it just totally numbed out?
2: So here's the mind fuck is that, and I apologize because fuck is my favorite word, so I'm sorry.
0: That's, um, um, you're in good company. Cool. Okay, good. <laughs>
2: the thing that's really weird is I actually have no feeling in my chest. Right. So, um, it kind of feels like when you're at the dentist, you know, you feel pressure, but nothing. Yeah. So I thought it would have been a breeze.
3: Yeah.
2: I have tattoos also. I'm pretty tatted mm-hmm. up everywhere. It was my most painful tattoo.
3: Whoa. And
2: I think it wasn't the one part of my scar was fine. It was anywhere else. Right. the nerve damage
1: yeah so like
2: right. they would tattoo here and I would like feel it in my neck yeah or I would feel it down in an armpit like at, I've topic. also had so after you have a mastectomy of drains I'm yeah. sure I think Jeremy I heard you talk about one time I maybe I'm wrong or somebody talked about drains but so you have all these scars those were a bitch yeah. it was really painful like This mastectomy tattoo was 14 hours of work. I did it in four sessions.
3: Oh, wow, 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 wow. Because it
2: was painful, although some women don't feel it.
3: Right. Okay. Okay. Like painful, like, was it so painful? Like, because I almost tapped out on my chest.
2: I almost tapped out right around here. At one point, she's like, we're going to just go back in with the white. I was like, the white. I was like, oh, no, you fucking Mm -hmm. hurt. Get away with the white.
3: Yeah, totally.
2: I I was almost ready to tap out
3: what um can you can you tell us like can you explain to us how it feels to be present in in the sessions with these women that are going through with something that that's like i mean i could imagine is like extraordinarily em- empowering um what it like what have what have those sessions been like in in terms of being there with them and and witnessing something so like beautiful
2: um it's kind of indescribable. Like my favorite part of the day is when they look at the reveal and the tears come (laughs) because it's the first time. A lot of these women, when they look in the mirror, it's not that they see scars. A lot of them suffer from PTSD from that diagnosis. So even if they're healthy, every time you look in the mirror, it's a constant reminder. So a lot of the time, as soon as that artist like, as soon as they see the visual of what's going to be covered, and that artist goes in with that first, you know, that first, okay, you're ready. And then in they go. You almost see this sense of like peace in them. Like, it's almost like this artist, just by touching a needle to their skin, is slowly helping them to heal a little bit. Mm. So, there's a lot of tears but it's really more of a happy celebration because a lot of these women come in with family member daughter, partner. Um, and I it's this day of connection for all these women who've never met before, but they're sharing in this beautiful experience Mm -hmm. and they create friendships and connections and their artists become more than artists. They become somebody who's helped in their healing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really beautiful. I mean, Although there's a lot more laughing than you would think, a lot of titty
1: jokes. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> yes. Something, yeah. yes, something stuck out to me when you, something you said uh, <laughs> oh, maybe a ten or fifteen minutes ago about um, about the the experience of being able to like feeling control of of like what's happening to your chest after yeah. um, after so many instances of being of, of of that being in, like, in the healthcare system's control yeah. for, for in a lot of ways, um, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering, like, it, I'm assuming you, you are, you feel, you, even though you haven't had breast cancer, you feel pretty intimately connected to that because of all the, because of the surgery that you had, and then the the ensuing complications um, around your breasts after you. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, a we didn't really touch on what the complications were if, if you if you wanna if you want to yeah. share then please um and then and then I just like to kind of lot i like you to elaborate a little bit on like that experience of that feeling of of like taking back control
2: yeah well um so I always say i went into the hospital healthy i went in a healthy thirty three year old and thirteen year late thirteen years later you know my last surgery was three years ago, so I think it was a mind fuck that I didn't expect to have to deal with all of these complications. And, and I happen to be a pretty positive person. So every time I went through another complication, I would just say it's not cancer, right? Like that's a whole different beast. Um, truth is, it's not an art form. Mastectomy and reconstruction is not an art form. And it doesn't matter how good the plastic surgeon is or the oncologist is, it's not an art form. They're putting something foreign in your body. So there's always issues that can arise. Mine, however, my implant, so I to give you a good visual. I called my implant my knee pad because my implant would not stay in its pocket. It kept on slipping out of my chest and migrating. So, because you have to stitch the implants in, so I called it my knee pad because it kept on slipping down. <laughs> right. Um, so, constant issues with that. Uh, the first set of implants didn't work properly. So they had to put in a different set of implants that were textured because when you have no tissue, what does the implant hold on to? Nothing. So after a whole bunch of complications and my implants slipping down into my knee, I ended up having to find a new plastic surgeon. He started over and he had to put in new implants. So he put in textured implants. So when the scar tissue adheres, everything stays in. And then, of course, two years after I'd had this second set of implants, I started hearing murmurings of the fact that these implants are known to cause a rare type of cancer. Oh, (laughs) God. Talk about irony. So I started having issues again. I was itchy all the time and getting rashes. And sure enough, these textured implants were now becoming a bigger discussion. So I went all over. The news to talk about how dangerous they were and were eventually pulled off the market mm. and had to go back in for surgery again to have those taken out <laughs> and get all of the issues that were going on removed. So
1: Is that like a recall like, like I mean oh, just yeah, from, it is. from like a, from like a financial from a financial standpoint is that like oh we it gave it is you a mind a...
2: fuck. You know they call you if you have a problem with like a clutch on your car. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah.
2: And these fuckers were still um they were still um putting them out in the market knowing that these implants were causing damage. So mm. yeah, it was a recall, but they weren't doing it. Eventually huh. enough of us got around and they recalled them. I'm actually now part of a mass uh a Good, mass class action class action. Yeah. It, it, so well, after like, all of that. Sorry, go ahead.
0: I was gonna ask, like in those moments of like th- those all of those challenges that you're facing, um, were, were there? was there ever a time where you were like, fuck, I made the wrong decision?
2: I don't know what it is. And I am an exception to the rule. More women who have this mutation do tend to do surveillance because it's scary to make that decision. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it was in me, but I never thought that. Because if you look at my paternal side of my family, there are no women left in so mm. if it means eight surgeries to fix complications, but I know I'll never have to deal with chemotherapy and radiation and the chance of it coming back, I have no regrets. What I do wish is that I wish I would have known that there was a chance of complications. Nobody told me about that. I just wish emotionally I would have been a little bit more prepared. Right. Yeah. You know, and things changed. Like when I had my mastectomy, It was considered cosmetic if they want if you wanted to have your nipples recreated. Mm. So I would have had to pay for them. So I remember at the time telling my company that like for a Christmas bonus, I wanted like a right areola. I
1: didn't (laughs) think it was that fun.
2: (laughs) So things have changed as well, right? Like as we evolve, I think hospitals and surgeons understand that it's not just superficial to look the way that you want to look. Mm -hmm. And so Over the course of the years, I've become more confident because I've been able to eventually decide how I want my breast to look at the end. And I decided the tattoo would make it prettier. So I found this sense of peace.
0: Are are nipples and areolas, are are they now not considered cosmetic?
2: Correct. They are now considered actually important to a woman's physique. I mean, Mm. you would never hear of some going in for top surgery removing the breasts and going well fuck you don't need nipples you're flat now Ooh, like yeah. it just Ooh, yeah it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and now they're understanding that. but it's interesting most women do feel that they're not complete until they have their nipples mm-hmm.
3: can you can you talk to us about the the buzzfeed post that went viral <laughs> i i because i you know <clears throat> again sort of talking about um uh, we had mentioned Angela and Jolie earlier. And, yeah. and I think, I mean that, I think that was the first time that I had really heard of yeah. um, somebody, you know, uh, electing to, to, to remove their breasts at, yeah. w- with the chance of, of getting um, breast cancer. And, um, and I, and I'm, I, I, from what I recall, like that was a pretty, that was a pretty big deal. Like it, it was, it was a big piece in the news. Moosh. There was a lot of conversation happening around it. So, when you made this Buzz, Buzzfeed post, like, what was the, what was the reaction that that you got from from that post? Was it mixed? You know, were were some people just like, Ugh, this lady's fucking crazy, or like, oh, yeah. or was you it know, mostly pretty positive?
2: You know, I actually thought I would get a lot of negative feedback, and I don't know, I, I don't really give a shit what people think about me, so <laughs> I'm I'm kind of able to let it kind of you know brush past me. But my kids got online and started reading. Mm. and I was surprised I don't know if it was the way that BuzzFeed did the story but people were really understanding saying oh I didn't realize that your risk was so high um that's scary I don't know if I could do that but it makes sense but I have you know you always have those people going oh she's doing it for attention or oh she's just chopping off her boobs it's so stupid uh you know uh, what if she gets another type of cancer? Like, ooh. there <laughs> were stupid comments. Dude, it's so dumb, it makes me laugh. <laughs> right? I know. But, and,
0: yeah. Like, well, you could walk out and get hit by a car. Ooh. I'm like, so
2: could you.
0: Yeah, yeah. shut the fuck up. <laughs> right? I, I don't understand how people can feel so confident in giving their stupid-ass opinions yeah. online. Like, oh, the best like putting that is. shit out there, like yeah. it's,
1: uh, oh man, it's, dude, going into commented. talking about commenting people is just like, a, yeah, yeah, it's just, like, but it's
2: the best, right? Oh my God, you get fucking new boobs. And my answer is all the same Did you see how good my old ones were? Yeah, right. Right. I was right.
1: cool. I was cool with them. Right? I was
2: good. People really, people just say things to fill the space. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. What is What is the conversation with your kids? been like like how how do you talk about this with them
2: so that was actually that's my one that's my like that's my sad story like the rest of this i feel really fucking empowered and i feel like by sharing what i've gone through and how i you know took my took control of my life like i might die some other way but it's not going to be suffering through ovarian or breast cancer however my children have a 50% chance of inheriting this mutation. Mm. And I have a boy and a girl. I've always been open. So my kids have always had like age-appropriate knowledge. But it was only a few years ago that my daughter, I really sat down with her and explained to her that there is a chance that she might have this mutation. And we don't know what technology and what new research will be out there. You know, she's only 15. So we don't know what will be out there that was the hardest conversation to have because one day she just said mommy like am i gonna have to have my breasts removed and mm. i was like oh yeah. god mm-hmm. so that's been the hardest part for me but what i try to do is i try to conduct myself in a way that she understands that even if there are no other options later on that she knows mommy did this and she was okay.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: It doesn't have the same effects for men. I mean, it does affect male. It does affect like, you know, male breast cancer. You have a higher risk of male breast cancer and prostate cancer. Okay. It's also pancreatic cancer is another one that you're at higher risk
3: for. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah.
2: Um, but it's not as scary for men as it is for women because it's really the breast and ovaries that
3: mm-hmm. How old? That how old w- would your children need to be before you could do the genetic testing to find that out?
2: So there is no real rule. Um, and I won't ever make that decision for my children. That will be something that they do. Generally, rule of thumb in Canada, they test around 25 if you don't want to do it earlier. But if there's breast cancer in your family, you can start just by being a little bit more proactive, mm-hmm. more mammograms and MRIs. Mm-hmm. But they will test as early as 21.
1: Okay. okay. Mm-hmm.
2: It's just it's, it's a, such a big responsibility. I found this out. Yeah. I had had my children. I was married. I wasn't in the dating scene. I wasn't worried about maybe having another child. The next generation deals with so many things that I don't deal with. This is Mm -hmm. my daughter growing up knowing that she might have this high risk. Does that mean she has to have children early because there's a chance of ovarian cancer when she wants to breastfeed? Like, what if she's dating? I mean, it opens up this whole conversation that I never had to deal with. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So it's scary in a different way. Yeah. But she's going to have her mom. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
3: You know? uh, it's amazing. Um, <clears throat> I, I know you were saying that the, uh, the applications for Empower Inc. Um, are coming out soon. Uh, wait, can you say what date the, the applications yes. are actually dropping? Yes. So
2: the applications are going to be coming out. Let me just look at my calendar. I'm setting out the applications on the 25th of July.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And they will close. Like, they'll be open until end of August. Then yeah. I have all of September to match everybody, and my so far my two dates. I don't. I'm waiting to solidify my date for Montreal, but October 30th is in Quebec City, and we have nine badass artists. I will Sweet. start introducing them on my Instagram and on the Empowering Facebook page. October 9th, we have six uh, people that will be tattooed <clears> in Ottawa, <October. throat> and. I believe, don't quote me, October 3rd in Montreal. But the great thing, again, is you can apply to whichever location you want.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I have the post up here. And uh, for folks, um, that is, uh, I'm bumping this up in the schedule. So so uh, the application will drop yeah. a week from today, if you're listening on the, the, the date of this episode, uh, on the 25th. Um, and the dates in October, uh, are, according to this post, are October 3rd, October 9th, and October 30th. Um, and one one other thing that I, I find kind of interesting here is there you're, you'll also be looking for one person to receive nipple tattoos, yeah. um, but there's only one spot for this. What, what, uh, what's why is there only one spot for the uh, nipple tattoo versus like the artistic, the artistic so, pieces?
2: Because I want to keep this focused on an artistic project. Gotcha. you. Um, there are a lot of women who will go right away and take care of the nipple tattooing on their own and they can still do something artistic Mm. but over the last six years i have received a lot of questions about whether we are going to offer that so this is my way to introduce it to see how it works so um, rj who's my artist who did this like my
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah he's gonna do one set of nipple tattoos and then we're gonna see What I'd like to do really is keep the artistic days as is and throughout the year offer freedom. Mm -hmm.
0: What if somebody built nipples into their design? and it was like a set of flowers no loopholes allowed (laughs) they do they could do no
2: nipples. (laughs) you should see some of the artists that practice it's fucking hilarious they have like nipples all over right like no way really (laughs) yeah i guess i'd love love an
3: extra nipple tattoo that'd be great right yeah totally (laughs) i know
2: well i said that to my guy i'm like rj if you want to practice you could give me like a a nipple yeah yeah
1: <laughs> no. Dude, a lot of a lot of tattoo artists were like well like practice on themselves there was this guy yeah, that yeah. was coming to the yoga studio that oh, i can't fuck. remember what i can't remember what uh what tattoo place he was at but like you know probably when he was like 20 or something he had done a Dude. ton of practice stuff on his arm yeah. and then he just blacked out his yeah. arm yeah, yeah, because yeah. it was all just do like doodles <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, well they
2: always say they always say that the like the most tattoo artists have like the shittiest tattoos because they yeah. practice on each yeah. other. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, really well, Karen, I, Karen, this is, you're, 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 so fun to sit down and yeah. chat with. I, I, I like, yeah. I, but,
2: and I, I appreciate it because I did stop. I just want you boys to know, I stalked Jeremy. I was like, I'm not just messaging him. I'm freaking, voicemailing yeah. yeah totally totally <laughs> old yeah, school yeah,
3: yeah you and and uh, and a good example for folks that want to get on the show just just harass <laughs> yeah, it yeah. really yeah. does work yep. um, <laughs> it's really good if you show up at jerry's house i <laughs> would uh,
2: but life. you're too fucking far from montreal
3: <laughs> well, I, you know what's funny is i'm actually going to be in montreal in october i'm i'm, I'm just going to be missing the uh the um the empower ink dates. Oh, that's but, too bad. Uh, Otherwise it would be cool
2: for to pop It would have been
3: very fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but when I'm in well, town, if I get I, to I will...
2: Halifax next year, if yes. I get a location, maybe we should talk all kidding aside because you're all tatted. Maybe we should take it offline mm-hmm. because maybe some of your artists might be interested for be sure. Cool. Yeah, the goal really is to right. get really in neat. every province.
3: Cool. That's sweet. Yeah. Um, Karen, <clears throat> you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks Thank for, you know, bi- commend you big time for, for all the work that you're doing as an advocate for all the work that you do with Empower Inc. Um, and for folks um, that want to get more information. Again, I said it earlier. Uh, Karen's uh, Instagram is fucking so sick. <laughs> the, the, the images are, are really breathtaking. Um, it's uh, Karen Lazarovitz. Did I pronounce yeah. that right? Uh, nope.
2: I, uh, <laughs> but i would have kept on going if I you didn't tried, ask I tried. Lazarovitz.
3: Lazarovitz. Uh, karen lazarovitz underscore b-r-c-a that's k-a-r-e-n l-a-z-a-r-o-v-i-t-z underscore b-r-c-a the link will be in the show notes and yeah. um and uh and also you know what karen i'll i'll, I'll um uh well no never mind that, that's all good um Oh, uh,
2: how fucking much of a tease was that? I, know, I, know. <laughs> I was, I was
3: going to say I, I'll get you to send me the link to the uh, to the uh, application, but the, yeah. the 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 application won't be out um, in time, so I will. Uh, well, I can that still
2: that send process. you the link if you want. It's not active yet, but I have. Oh,
3: sweet. Okay. Well, then, yeah, that's great. Then, then, perfect. Let's do yeah. that. Sweet. Okay. You want um, to send it on
2: Instagram. Yeah. Or yeah. Just,
3: email. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Whatever.
2: Yeah. That's oh, good. Awesome. Uh, yeah. We, I mean, like I said, it's awesome. I I just anybody can apply yeah. um canadian or u.s but obviously it'll attract a lot of canadians
0: yeah, yeah. totally sweet uh
3: karen you're awesome thank you this has been thank so fun. you guys yeah, yeah. and it's congrats on the
2: new baby
1: thank you <laughs> thank you <Awesome.
2: laughs> thank life you. will never be the same my friend oh, no, it's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs>
3: Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And, uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Steber. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan, the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy.